John chapter 5. Enough with the mushies. First John chapter 5. Just a couple of short verses in 20 and 21. My message title today is No Other God. When I get there, I will let you know. Something's wrong. I'm going from 1 John to 2 John. I erased chapter 5 somehow. I need a Bible. <laughs> Can I have that Bible? Lewis, where's Lewis? All right, team man. Lewis, I see you up there. Don't go too far. That is that is very strange. Wow. I don't have chapter four or chapter. Uh, that's not important. In my Bible, yeah. In my app, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll find out when I go to that page. This one's living in my heart, so I can preach extemporaneous if necessary by God's grace. First John chapter five. I am reading out of the NIV for tonight, chapter, uh, verse twenty twenty one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know Him who is true. That's the Father, and we are in Him who is true. Even his son, Jesus Christ, Jesus is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for always warning us, Father God, of the world we walk in. This moral wasteland, this pagan culture we live in, Father God. We're a hedonistic lifestyle, Father God, and so many seducing things are calling us and trying to drag us away from the God who is true God and a true and genuine love and life in Christ, God. I thank you for this admonishment and treating us as little children and saying, be careful, guard yourself. The enemy roams around like a roaring lion. He veils himself as a counterfeit God, as a pagan God, seducing, lying, beguiling, promising that we too can be like God. Help us today, Father God. Remove the iris from our heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. No other God. Over the last couple of sermons I preached, I touched upon... Uh, the ability of believers to actually forget about God. It's not something we really spend too much time contemplating on. Uh, and we can end up making other things more important in life without even realizing it. When I say forgetting about God, I don't mean we, don't, we stop confessing Christ, we don't believe in Christ. Of course we do. But what we do forget about is that true life is a genuine daily devotion to Jesus Christ. Not to be saved. We're saved because... He's putting his spirit in us. We've repented of our sins. We're born again. Born again. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But God wants us to truly enjoy life. Is that true? That, that is the end of it all. Paradise, heaven, the new uh, heaven, new earth. The, the garden is not about, you know, it's about enjoying God and fellowship with each other forever. Yes. 
But that's eternal life now. So when the Bible's talking about eternal life, it's not about you're saved. John's text is always pointing us and Jesus teaches us eternal life is now in us. And we're to enjoy it now. But we just got to be careful because things get in the way and distractions come. And we all know about those distractions. It could be money, it could be self, it could be our time, our hobbies, our jobs. Anything becomes, can become an obstacle, even good things. Even good things. And tonight I want to continue on this theme. Last time I spoke, we spoke about forgetting God. This week I want to speak about having no other God. And you would say, well, Brian, that can't be. We're going to, uh, we're going to go through this tonight. And we're seeing that we can. That's why the admonishment is there. Children, be careful of idols. The apostle ends his beautiful letter with an urgent appeal. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. The Bible is replete with warnings about falling prey to the seductions of idolatry, uh, both ancient and modern versions. And before we go into our text tonight, let me try to define idolatry in its simplest and basic definition. Anything we value more than God, that's idolatry. Anything we value more than God. That's a simple, basic definition, and it's not mine. I got it from Tim Keller. Uh, I've been going through a book, Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. Must read. Pick it up. Counterfeit Gods. The man is extremely insightful. It's liberating, it's fascinating, it's got me, it's captivating me. I can't wait to pick it up, I can't wait to read it, I can't wait to digest it, reflect on it. It's really feeding me. And I'm a very slow reader, so it'll probably take me three months or summer to go through it, but I go through it very slowly because I need it more than anything else. Uh, I'm not just a pastor and I like to regurgitate truth and, and feed God's people. I need it. I'm one of these little children here, be careful of idols. Got to apply it to myself first. So it's a great book. Tim Keller, Counterfeit Gods. Uh, I'd encourage you to pick it up. But uh, that's the basic definition. We'll explore its more seducing, subtle, devastating nature as we move on in the sermon tonight. Okay? I want to give you a quote. Alexis de Tocqueville was a French political thinker in the early 1800s. When he came to America in about 1831, he spent about four or five years here just observing American life. He had this to say. There's a strange melancholy that haunts the inhabitants in the midst of abundance. This strange melancholy, almost this this mild depression. Why? What's what's wrong with them? What's, What's this melancholy? There's everything here, but there's an unhappiness about these people. That was his observation. Tim Keller says about this, that Americans believe, back then and now, that prosperity could quench their yearning for happiness. Prosperity. But such hope was illusory. Keller goes on to quote our philosopher again, the incomplete joys of this world will never satisfy the human heart. The incomplete joys. There are a lot of things that the world can give us. And they're joyful and they're nice things. But they're always, always incomplete. They can never get your heart and my heart to sing hallelujah, hallelujah. That song, as I worshiped and I contemplated this sermon, nothing can give you that. Nothing can captivate your soul like the goodness of God. 
But yet, everything around us is trying to draw us away from the goodness of God. We're here with distractions today. And I'll get into making a list later on. And we come in with distractions. There's something stealing. There's something coming against us. Joy of the heart that God gives us. We've got to fight against this. We've got to keep God. Little children, keep God. It means to protect your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. Take it serious is what he's Like children in this pagan land, you have to be on your God 24-7. Trying to quench the happiness with the false hope of prosperity. Keller goes on to quote the philosopher, the incomplete joys of this world will never satisfy the human heart. He goes on to say even more that idolatry is taking some incomplete joy of this world and building your life's hope on it. Now anybody who's ever been in a position to make a lot of money knows it could be a very consuming thought. It could drive you forward. And when you are acquiring it and you're successful, there's this short sense of accomplishment. But it's an incomplete joy. And it can be taken away tomorrow. And it never satisfies the human heart. Many a millionaire have died despondent and brokenhearted. Because it can never give what only God can give. There's a hole in the human heart that only God can fill. And they're building their life on. That's what Keller was saying. That I, that's idolatry. Not so much bowing down to a man-made image, but replacing all our affections that belong to God. All our hopes for a joyful life, a peaceful life with God and putting it into something else. These are the things that sneak in. They sneak into our life. That's idolatry. Hence, finding true happiness in anything other than Jesus Christ, because he is the truth. So we can speak about God in the Christian uh, uh, congregation, because we know we're speaking about Christ. But even people that think they have God, it's all idolatry. Anything out of the true gospel of Jesus Christ is idolatry. Anything. Catholicism is filled with idolatry. Religion, Islam, idolatry. We can go as far as saying as Judaism today is idolatry. Because they reject Jesus Christ. They reject him. That's what our text is about tonight. All humans have this innate desire to happiness, peace, and joy. It's in us. It's a God-given desire. To prosper is a God-given desire. To prosper in heart and soul and life is a God-given desire. We should have that. It, 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 it makes us alive. To desire success, there's nothing wrong with it. To work hard, there's nothing wrong with it. To want to have love, there's nothing wrong with it. But because of the fall into the sin by our parents, Adam and Eve... This natural, uh, this natural desire for God has been replaced with self and false promises by Satan. You can have the best, but without God. You can create your own destiny as a modern promise today. Many motivational speakers use this, and many TV evangelists use this. It's very catchy, very seducing. You know, it's your destiny. 
Rise up and take your destiny. Almost like like you're empowered and emboldened to run out and live a brand new life. It's there for you taking. Your best life is right in front of you. Take it. Reach out. It's yours. It's free for the taking. Many unsuspecting Christians, not just non-believers, are chasing a false dream. Anything you and I are putting our hope into. If I would come here and give you all sorts of hopes and say it was the Bible, and it is not, that's idolatry. I cannot put a claim on God that God doesn't put a claim on himself already. If God doesn't tell me truth, then it's not true. I can't come here and tell you your life is going to be happiness, prosperity, healthy, 100 years old, no problems, no troubles. But that's what they're selling. And Christians are buying into that. They're unsuspecting, they're immature Christians, that sounds good. And they hold on to that, and the years are going by, and, and guess what? The years are just going by. There is no prosperity. You still got suffering. You still got heartache. You still have trouble. There's still sickness. It still hasn't gone nowhere. Despondency sets. And I've seen many Christians shipwreck their faith on holding on to false promises of God over one, two, three decades. Shipwreck their faith. The only thing that can happen at the end of this is a crash and burn. Sooner or later, someone's going to crash and burn. Jesus says it this way, What is the profit of man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? Where a man's treasure is, there also will be his heart. That's what he values the most. One observation before our sermon. We're all prone to this. Please. It's not them. It's us. Calvin says it best. Uh, says it best. The human heart is a manufacturer of idols. We we put words in God's mouth to make us feel better. We do all sorts of things to make us feel good. Then we put God's stamp of approval on it. What is it, I ask tonight, in your life, that what's the missing element in your life tonight? That if you had this one thing, would make life really good. How about the loss of that 10 pounds? How about that elusive, if I only had that, if my spouse was better, all the women laugh. Just a little more money. How about some less wrinkles? More hair. More muscles. Another degree. Romance, that's it. That's what I need. It's romance. If someone would just understand me, then my life would be complete. That's life. If it's not something that's going to make me happy, it's someone who will make me happy. Maybe it's tall, dark, and handsome. Someone who's also weak and frail, who has many inconsistencies like me. A mortal, that's what I need. What is the elusive key in your life that you need to experience the best of life?
What is it we're really hoping for? I got God, I love God, Brian, and I got that, but only if I had this. Now, if I had a show of hands here and a bunch of honest hearts, people would say, if there's a little bit of this, and we all have it. It's not like, oh, we all have, we come in here with it. We need to be set free from these idols. Keller's book has been really nailing it for me and my wife as we go through it and setting us free. It's not about, oh, that's a nice truth. The truth comes not to just illuminate and then we suffer because we can't attain it. The truth comes to set us free. And the greatest joy and the greatest hope is Jesus. We need to be set free from our idols. The best life is now. It's really right in front of you. It's for the taking. Reach out now. It's there. It's not an it. It's not a promise. It's not a, an ideology. It's not a philosophy. It's a person. Jesus Christ. He's true life. He's true eternal life. It's right there in front of you. Don't let anything get in the way of your personal relationship with Jesus. Enjoying Jesus on a daily basis. A quality of life with Christ. That is the greatest thing. And if anything comes in and starts to steal from that, understand something. We're not enjoying life. I'm saved. I'll always be saved. But am I truly enjoying the Lord? Let me give you an illustration. I like cars. It's my idol. One of my 50,000 idols. I like a performance car. And I got one. And I like driving. I like stepping on the gas. I like... And a friend of mine in the gym, he goes, you know, Brian, I used to work for that company. And my job was to go out to Las Vegas and test drive those cars. Did you know that a car can do this? I said, no. Did you know that a car can do this? I said, I had no idea. He goes, come on, let's get on the highway. We get on the highway. He goes, when you get to 60, do this. You shift from 5, 6, 7, As you're stepping on the gas, and you go from 60 to 90 in about a second and a half. I like this. He goes, you think that's good? He goes, do that and push this button over here. I said, I didn't know what that button was for. He goes, that's the power button. So I'm doing 60. I shift 5, 6, 7, 8. Push the button. Don't tell my wife. You see, I was underperforming. The call was, it's an illustration. But that's how our relationship with Christ could be. It could be underperforming. There's a lot more in the tank with Christ. A lot more satisfying with Christ. A lot more liberating with Christ. A lot more hopeful, peaceful, contentful with Christ. And I think a lot of us can be underperforming in our relationship with Christ. Am I right or wrong about that? Is that just a, a personal observation on my own life? I've experienced this. I experience things getting in my way. I'm like, where's the joy in my life? I love the Lord. That's all that counts. I love my wife. That's all that counts. I love the other saints. That's all that counts. I love the church. That's all that counts. My life is filled. I have life. I have God. I have a wife. I have, I have friendships. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I have eternal life. I've got a song in my heart the world can't give and Satan can't steal it. Then why aren't I enjoying it? Let's go to our text. First John is written, first and foremost, to ensure believers of the most important truth there is in life, which all the rest of life is built on. 
I have written to you that you may be assured of eternal life. That's what he's telling us. And the five hallmark characteristics of this eternal life that we find in these five chapters is first, faith in Jesus Christ. Not an illusion, not a ghost, not half man, not half God. The God man, Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man, redeemer, saver, friend of sinners, who came here on a mission of mercy for once and for all to destroy the works of Satan, to forgive our sins, and give us eternal hope once and for all. The law of Moses could not do it. Adam failed. All of Israel failed. But the true servant, the second Adam, Jesus Christ never failed. Put your faith, put your hope in that. Let nothing ever get in the way of Jesus. From there, you have a true love for God. You have a true love for other believers. You love the commandments of God because they're not a burden now. You love God so much. Whether it's ten commandments, a thousand commandments, it makes no difference. I love God. And of course, true believers don't go on habitually sinning all their life. They don't. I'll tell you that right now. Habitual sin is not a characteristic of a true Christian. Living in wanton pleasure with no repentance, no remorse, with some cavalier attitude that I'm saved by grace is a scary, to a pastor, that scares me. Scares me. One brings us to this understanding of the same, which I really want to speak about tonight. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. We need to understand first and foremost the important aspect of this eternal life we're talking about here. It's relational. It starts here and now with Christ. The garden has been restored. What Adam handed over, Jesus Christ brought back into our life. A thriving, living relationship on a daily basis with the living God who is true God, Jesus Christ. And enjoying that. It is the number one, how can I say, it's, it's what God wants us to know and enjoy above all other things. Life in Christ. That you and I can enjoy God the way Jesus enjoyed God. We can have that. I have that. And every once in a while, distraction get in. I don't want to lose it. I'd rather lose the whole world. I'd rather lose it all than forfeit my soul or forfeit my walk with God. I want to enjoy the Lord. That's the most important thing that the book is teaching us and the whole Bible teaches us. We need to understand this first and foremost, that life is relational. It's God first, then others. This is true riches. The truth here that's stressed in our text, verse 20, it's stressed three times. It's not a mental ascent into some kind of field of inquiry and some kind into the sciences, the social sciences. It's always relational. We really come to know that God is real. Paul talks about this to the Thessalonians in chapter 1, verse 7. You turned from false gods to serve the living God. That's what happened to you when you were born again. That's what happened. That's what life is all about. Are you going to add something to that? Teach me. I'm teachable. You got something better than that? Let me know. I'll sign up. You got something better than waking up any moment of the day, anywhere in the world, and you can instantaneously and spontaneously start worshiping God. You got something better? Instantaneously, God forgive me. You're forgiven. 
I'm in despair. Instantaneously, the presence of God is there. We've got to be careful of turning our relationship with God back into religion and just getting into religiosity and just showing up. Yeah. Got to be careful of that. This is so stressed here. This relational aspect with God that it's not some mental ascent whatsoever. The truth about God is everything the human being needs. That's why wherever we are, from the filthy rich to the poor, to the physically fit, to hospice. You and I have what every soul needs. Eternal life. Relationship with God. This is the missing part. And what John is teaching us here is that it needs to be guarded with all our hearts. Don't miss it. Never take it for granted. This personal relationship is what John is protecting above all else. Do not lose this. Our deepest joy and hopes are wrapped up in this personal relationship with God in Christ. The closer we are to Christ by our daily living faith, the happier we will be. I can't live close to Christ and and, and think about myself all the time. I can't do it. I got to enjoy God and, 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 and I get lost somewhere. I get lost. There's always less in me. I'm, I'm enjoying God. I'm enjoying Christ. I'm enjoying my worship music. I'm enjoying my Bible. I'm enjoying prayer. I'm enjoying, you know what I enjoy most of everything? Repenting. Yes. I do a lot of it. <laughs> I enjoy that. I enjoy that instantaneously I go to Christ because I'm always something on my mind like, God, thank you for forgiveness. Nothing can replace this it should drive us every day, this personal relationship. I, I just wanted to highlight that that's what John really doesn't want us to lose here. Little children is, is both a warm acknowledgement, but it carries with it a reminder that as children we are vulnerable to the false teachings that permeate this world. John is writing to Ephesus. You might not know Ephesus 2,000 years ago, but it was the... Uh, it was the center of idolatry. The center of idolatry. If you read Acts chapter 19, and you see what Paul did there, what God did to the apostle Paul, that the occult were everywhere. Uh, the, the temple to Diana, Artemis was there, all these temples, and, and, and the temple prostitution, and the hedonism that went around, and they, you could buy incantations, and, 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 and charms, and and all these things, superstition, the occult, were everywhere. There was such a revival in this place that they, the occult came and they confessed their practices. And they burned all their occult books and it was up to 50,000 pieces of silver. Such a work of God that he did in this place. But yet the temple was still there. Christianity was there. The influence, the seduction of temple worship was still there. And to be sure, John is saying, Christians, you young children, be careful of the culture you live in. It's an idolatrous culture filled with paganism and false truths and hopes about God. Don't get caught up. Keep your eyes on the truth. 
Jesus Christ is truth. And the great blessing is eternal life in him that begins now and lasts forever. Enjoy Christ above all things. Don't fall into these false hopes, these false teachings. Don't fall into that. Be careful of these hedonistic practices. And many of these believers came out of such a dark background. So it's easy to see why John would end this wonderful letter with this this admonishment. Children, be careful of the idols. Remember where you came from. Remember the darkness. Remember how seducing it is. Don't think you're above falling back into it. It won't give up. It's a voice that will never give up. It's a relentless voice. Come back, son. Come back. Come back. You belong to me. It is not. We belong to Christ. And we've got to make sure we guard our hearts that nothing seducing ever draws us back away from Christ. Many of men, many of good men, many of good women who love the Lord have fallen back into old practices. They're more than ready to take you back. Satan is more than ready to take us back. What are you saying here? Anything other, this is the first application, the biblical application. Anything other than a strict biblical orthodoxy is idolatry. It's idolatry. It changes who God is. Many misinformed Christians get caught up into some strange practices and some strange teachings and beliefs. Oh, God. I see more people get buried because they wouldn't take medications and other things because they thought they were going to be here. Strange practices. Strange, strange. All sorts of strange things. I've seen marriages ruined because a spouse was believing one thing and not the other. I've seen children leave. I see all this because of some strange teaching that enters in. So from a spiritual perspective, any false teaching which gives false hopes will eventually cause a Christian to become despondent, brokenhearted, and ruined. Truth always sets free. It's always liberating. It never causes problems and it never causes anxieties. It sets us free. But for us tonight, we're not immersed in idols. We're not immersed in idol worship. We are a very orthodox church from our Sunday sermons, Monday night men's fellowship, Thursday night prayer, Saturday Women's Group, we emphasize proper teaching and Christian education. And of course, we have Sunday school. We are very orthodox. Very orthodox. Very conservative. We like that. So we do this all the time. But first today, I want to talk about something else. I want to talk more about the cultural idols that are... that that we're immersed in, that we're immersed around us, these cultural idols of success. If you're success-driven. Beauty, vanity-driven. These are big, big in the world today. They ruin us. Physical fitness, physical appearance, money, love, romance, sex, 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 sex. It becomes an idol. Sex becomes an idol. Romance becomes an idol. One person leaves another because they're falling in and out of love so much they don't, their head is spinning around. 
They're chasing love. They're chasing money. They're chasing beauty. They're chasing... They, they need some... Needing constant affirmations from somebody else. They constantly need to be affirmed. That's an idol. Children become idols. Parents, married couples, young married couples got to be careful that a parent becomes dominating in the marriage. That's why a man leaves his mother and father and clings to his wife. Parents can become idols. Children become idols. Sports become idols. Our hobbies, our future become an idol. The future, the future. It's consuming me. It becomes an idol. Jesus says that the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things will come and choke the faith out. Anything can become an idol. Many good things we're talking about here. There's nothing wrong with love. There's nothing wrong with sex. There's nothing wrong with success and beauty and being in good shape and money and children. There's nothing wrong with all this. But when it's out of proportion and it becomes first and God becomes less and less and less, it ruins us. It becomes an idol. And what happens is we begin this slow transition of putting something before God. What is that thing I, I mentioned earlier? What is that thing you came in here? You only had that. That's the thing. You only had that. I know what mine are. I know what it is. I know what I got laid out at the altar all the time. Oh, here it comes again. If I only had that. No, no. Here it comes again. If I oh. Some things I put away and never picked up again. Other things are always there knocking on my door. What is it that will define you as a human being and give you everlasting joy? Many good things become idols. The slow transition begins. We put something before God. Our life becomes cluttered. We're trying to obtain something. It's miserable. Trying to get that goal, that elusive goal, just whatever it might be, just a little more, I'm almost there. And it starts to become time-consuming. We suffer under it. It's a tyrant. These things we make idols, they become tyrants. They promise good things, but then it never stops giving. you got to have more. Like a junkie. got to have more. And the sweet and simple relationship with Jesus Christ suffers. And Jesus is not sweet. I'm going to ask you right now. Can you be honest with God? Is Jesus sweet to you? I'm not, I mean, did you wake up with him being sweet to you? Did you wake up loving the Lord? If you're saying no, or you're not sure, then maybe there's something in there that's vying for your affection. That's consuming your thinking. Maybe it's something I spoke about. Maybe it's our future, our hobbies, sports, alcohol, prescription, the latest fad diets, food, food, food can steal the joy, food can get in the way. What's cluttering our life? These are the cultural idols of the flesh we live in. What strange teachings about Christ are you holding on to? Are you holding on to something that might not be of the Lord? Any of us that come from any other 
unless you're growing up in a very strict, orthodox, Bible-teaching church, if you just grow up in a lot of different places, you're probably going to take a lot of strange teachings with you. I know I did. I was indoctrinated by a lot of strange things. And only the Word of God over a period of time indoctrinated me and gave me the truth. And the truth always sets free. I ask a question tonight. How do we know if something is becoming an idol? Maybe there's a slow transition in our life right now. Maybe there's something vying for all your attention. Maybe there's something vying for all my attention. How do we know? Well, first one, first thing we have to realize is that we all are prone to it. All are prone to it. But I'll go through a checklist. Think about the thing that maybe right now is on your heart. That thing you think if you just had it, that would be sweet. That, that's life. What would life be without it? What would happen if you never got what you want? How would your life be? How you answer that question determines the quality of your relationship with Christ. Because to be really set free, no matter what it is, I don't care if I never got some of the things I want, as long as you don't take Jesus away from me. Is it your job? How about a promotion that you wanted? How about that romance you wanted? How about losing those 10 pounds? How about the physical appearance? What about the money? Could you easily and honestly say, who cares if I never die? Can you say that? Can you say, praise the Lord, this is the way I'm built, I'm going to be like this the rest of my life, praise God. Praise God, I'm fat. John, John Verdi told me that. He saw a preacher on TV one day. Praise God, I'm fat. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> praise God. He had to praise God. He was free. Praise God. He didn't care. God don't care. We shouldn't care. I think you understand what I'm trying to say. Because these things can really ruin life. How about this? If you're not sure if idols have stepped into your heart and are ruining your relationship with Jesus, which is real life, would you allow another person to come into your life and decide what's best for you? Would you defer to someone else's counsel? Could you come to a place, you know, some I heard that sermon, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but what's your thoughts on this? Would you be able to do that? Would you be able to take what you're holding and cherishing and have someone say, I think that's wrong? How you answer that question determines how much you're holding on to. I'll ask you another thing. How do you know if there's some idols? How do you know if there's other loves? Is your marriage suffering? Is work suffering? Is school and education suffering? Is your health suffering? Is relationships suffering? Is Christian participation in church, is it suffering? Underperforming, like the car. Are your finances suffering? How about your spiritual devotions? Is your prayer life suffering? 
Your Bible study is suffering. Your personal worship to the Lord is it suffering. These are all symptoms of something else coming into our life. Christ doesn't bring that kind of suffering in. Persecution is one thing. But you've got to remember something. When you're, you can be poor, but he makes us rich. It makes no difference where we are in our life, no matter who we are. Christ makes us feel, feel special, hopeful, and peaceful. So I ask you this one. Has your life been characterized lately by hope, peace, joy, and contentment? Is it characterized more by frustration, fighting with loved ones, tensions everywhere, struggling with guilt? These are classic signs that some other thing is preoccupying our hearts. And as we, I mentioned Keller earlier, sooner or later, the things of this world are incomplete joys. They let you down. They let you and me down. I'm a golfer. I love to golf. Golf has always let me down. I'm asking too much of myself. I can't get that. I finally resolved that I'll never be great, but I'll enjoy the game. That's it. Bernard Langer, many people might not know him, but he's one of the better competitors out there. Became a Christian after he won his first Masters. I think it was 96 or 97, I don't remember exactly. And he said, is this all there is to life? Now, winning the Masters is the marquee desire of every professional golfer. And he won it. And he sat there, and I heard his uh, testimony. He sat there and he said, is this all there is to life? And that led him to Christ. And a friend bring him to church, and he got saved. And very, boy, very, very uh, strong on the PGA Tour, the senior tour now. Uh, fierce competitor, wins over, uh, over 100 tournaments. But he wears his faith on his sleeve. Because he, he longed for it, and he got it. And he realized it doesn't deliver. It won't deliver. Whatever we're thinking outside of Christ, it won't deliver. If you get it, if I get it, it won't deliver. It only steals. Remember, with Jesus, there's no hangover. With Jesus, there's no regrets. With Jesus, there's no anxiety. With Jesus, we have, hallelujah, your love makes me sing. Things will never do that to us. Things will never get me to come to church and say, praise God, I lost two pounds. Praise the Lord. I'm lifting more weight. Praise the Lord. You'll never get that. God won't allow that to happen. James 4 says that he's a jealous God and the spirit he put within us is jealous. He longs for us and nothing else. Half of us won't do. God won't cease until he has your undivided affection. I'm telling you right now, that's Christianity. That is knowing him who is truth and having eternal life. But we live in a world of idols. We live in a culture of idols. We're prone to it. Our heart manufactures idols. So what are we to do? All right, Brian, I'm there. That's me. Anybody there? All right. What do we do? Pray. Always remember this. 
An idol is nothing but a paper lion. That's all it is. You, you can't put an idol against the living, true God who can hear you, who can see you, who can grab you, who can love you, who can deliver you, who can guide you and give you hope. Nothing compares to God. Nothing. First thing I want you to think about. Fasting. Not from food. From the thing you're chasing. Give it up. Give it up. If you think it's a distraction, you think it's becoming an idol, I won't, I won't go to the gym for two months. I don't. Whatever it is. Whatever, whatever it is. If there's something in there that's in the way that's causing all these problems, just give it up fast. Give it to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm just going to give it to you. It's a good thing. It, I think it's turning into something. It's, it's stealing my joy. It's, it's stealing my relationship with you. It's stealing my time with you. Uh, I have tension because of it. I'm anxious because of it. I feel like I've had it. And I, I'm just not careful. I just I want you more than anything else. I'm just going to give this up for the next month or two weeks or three weeks or whatever it is until I'm free on the inside. Pursue it again in a right manner. So it's not an idol. Give it up. Give it to the Lord. Though I have some more, I will close with that. But remember something. We can't do it alone. We really can't. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Confess your sins to one another and God will heal us. Confession. I'm telling you now. Speak to a brother. Speak to a sister. Tell somebody, you know something, there is something that's really vying for my attention. And speak to somebody. Let someone pray. Don't try to do anything. Just let someone pray with you and help you and get close to God. And I really want you to consider this. Please hear me. There's a pastor's heart. I don't want to see you underperforming in your relationship with Jesus one more day. That's John's heart. That's my heart. I don't want to see one more day not enjoying Jesus to the fullest. Take it serious that we can manufacture idols. Don't let another day go on. Speak to somebody about that. Father, we thank you, Lord. God, we thank you that your word is always liberating. It's always convicting. Always challenging, Father God. But for the sole purpose that we know we have life in Christ true life, eternal life, to enjoy you and let nothing else ever distract us from the greatest component of a sure life and a happy life is living, thriving relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. In his name I pray.